From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line as we kick off another week. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you've got a question, the number is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. Or you can text your question to Father John. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener will eventually be Matt Gubensky. But the activity (laughs) on my screen tells me that Matt has not gotten into the room yet. But he'll be there shortly. And uh, Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Monday from the Mount, Father John Tregilio. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? You know what? If I were any better, I'd be jealous of myself. <laughs> and I'm 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 particularly uh, excited. Francis has made my day because I love it when people email me questions that I could actually answer. And, yeah. uh, and there aren't aren't very many of those in this folder. That's why we have you. Um, but Francis <laughs> asks, are St. John the Gospel writer, St. John the Beloved One, and St. John of Patmos all the same individual? Yes. <laughs> it's going to be an easy... I like that for brevity. It's going to be a difficult day with you, isn't it, Father John? <laughs> <coughs> um, yes, despite with some crackpots... Uh, Scholars and historians and theologians claim, you know, have people it, actually tried to propose an alternative theory to that? Oh yes, when I was in the seminary, we had all kinds of bizarre ideas that uh, John the um, John the Evangelist was not John the beloved disciple, nor was he the one that uh, ended up in Patmos, where he took care of the Blessed Mother and died at the age of, uh, we think, around a hundred uh, or more, and. Uh, they said these were all three different individuals and that maybe one or two of them didn't really exist. Well, that's not what the church maintains. Uh, they're all three in the same person. Now, John the Beloved, John the Disciple, John the Evangelist is not John the Baptist, however. Uh, that's a different saint. And when I was in grade school, Sister Gertrude was going around the classroom and she said, well, you're named after John the Baptist because his mother was Elizabeth, like your mother. I said, yeah, but I don't want to lose my head, sister. I want to be John the <laughs> Beloved. 
<laughs> it does seem to be a little bit better fade, doesn't it? Yes. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. I like this next question, too. Um, you know, there's often you often hear of, at least I do, of the debate of some as to whether Jesus knew he was God and, and the like. But here's one that I, I've never heard. I'm sure you probably have, but it's it's interesting to me. Deanna would like to know, did the Blessed Mother know that she was free from original sin? Oh, oh that's an interesting question. I would presume not because, uh, one, it wasn't necessary that she know that. And I don't think anybody necessarily tipped her off. But uh, the the Archangel Gabriel did say, to her, hail full of grace, gratia plena, in Latin, or ke in, in the Greek. And she certainly pondered, what did that mean, full of grace? Uh, but he didn't give her a copy of the catechism, and <laughs> certainly she didn't have uh, uh, a theological library to look, look it up. So I'm sure she contemplated what that meant, but nevertheless, uh, the Immaculate Conception was operative at the moment of her conception in St. Anne's womb, and throughout her entire life, you know, the grace of that Immaculate Conception persisted. So um, although she probably most likely did not know she had it, uh, she still, you know, expressed her fiat, be it done to me according to thy word. And, um, you know, I'm sure that uh, even though she went to the temple at an early age, I'm sure Saints Joachim and Anne probably had a pretty good idea that there was something special going on here. Yeah, especially since she most likely was born when St. Anne was considerably old and according to the um, the non-canonical uh, Proto-Evangelion of uh, St. James, uh, it said that, you know, the, her her um, her father, St. Joachim, was sort of shunned at the temple because it was considered uh, embarrassing that he had no children at, at his and his wife's old age. And yet uh, she conceived and uh, they presented Mary uh, to the temple. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Gary would like to know, what is the Catholic teaching on physician-assisted suicide? We're completely uh, opposed to it um, because just the whole concept of, you know, the, the idea of assisting someone in their suicide is being an accessory, all right, and you can be you know, morally considered uh, culpable of homicide. Now, that being said, uh, a person who's dying, who has a terminal disease, who is in intense agony and pain and suffering, you can give them as much uh, medication to alleviate their pain without it actually causing their death. So you can give them as much painkillers as they can tolerate. But once it starts to actually be the the impetus for death, uh, I know a lot of these uh, pain medications you know, you get to a certain level where that is it becomes the uh, the cause of death. It stops, the, it slows down the breathing, and then they die from the pain medication. But you can give them as much as possible that before that happens, you make them comfortable. As Pope uh, St. John Paul the Great made it very clear, you know, when he, he was uh, in his later years, um, you know, he never uh, advocated assisted suicide. And he said that everyone's entitled to nutrition, which is food, and uh, hydration, which is water, as long as your body can assimilate that. And, of course, normal care, which means, you know, you give them a blanket or a pillow and you comfort them. Um, But to actually uh, participate in causing their death or helping them kill themselves is considered morally uh, reprehensible. 
Uh, again, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. You know, I know we've all had little revelations uh, in the past that once we come to the realization of something, it immediately makes us wonder, oh, my Lord, what else do I not know? And uh, Nathan has a question along those lines. He says, do you have any advice on how to seek out what you don't know yet? I've recently had some revelations on our faith and what we believe, and now I wonder what else I'm missing. I wanted to, I want to keep learning. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it, it reminds me of what Donald Rumsfeld said during the the Gulf War. He said, you know, there's known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Um, there's a lot we don't know we don't know. Um, that's why getting a copy of the Catechism is absolutely essential, and obviously having a copy of your Catholic Bible uh, handy with it as well. Um, and I would say get get the companion uh, to the catechism too, because that gives you the explanation and citation of all the footnotes. Um, and that's why we have these wonderful shows on TV and, and radio where people call in and ask questions. And you can listen to people asking questions and say, yeah, I never thought of that. So being a, a, an active listener, viewer uh, to these wonderful things we have on EWTN, I think is going to be a big help to you. 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Jeff in Dallas, Texas, Sandy in Madison, Alabama, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. That's openline at ewtn.com, and put Monday or Father John in the subject line, and we'll get it to the appropriate location. And you can always text your question, text the letters EWTN to 55000. Uh, text your first name and wait for a response. And then text your first name <laughs> and um, your question, and we may find its way, it may find its way to the air uh, during one of our broadcasts. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with our Monday host, Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, through redemptive Catholic journalism, EWTN News helps advance the gospel and teachings of the Church, and you can get our trusted Catholic news in your email inbox every day. Simply visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Two lines open for you at 833 288 
3986. Our leadoff hitter today is Jeff in the Big D, Dallas, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Jeff, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, Father John. Hi. Um, I have a friend of mine who um, reads from the Ray Bible. I'm sure you know what that is. And he claims that part of Christ's um, payment for our sin was when he descended into hell. And I believe that the, that the Catholic teaching is that he descended to, to bring out the righteous people that were there before his coming. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me any clarification on that? Yes. Um, I know some people have heard this proposition that Jesus descended into the hell of the damned, and some of sometimes it's called the harrowing. And I read somewhere that that might be part of a movie that will be coming out. Uh, the Catholic Church, though, doesn't believe that Jesus went into the hell of the damned because that's the essence of hell, is that you completely totally separated from God for all eternity. And so for Jesus to to go to hell, literally, one would be insulting to his divine dignity, and two, it would be like, you know, him going down to the people in hell and going, yeah, 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 you know, you're, you know you're, nothing's gonna ha- good ha- going to happen to you. We believe he went to the hell of the dead, which, as you point out, is where Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, everybody in the Old Testament, including... Good St. Joseph, because he died before Jesus died on the cross. So all those people who could not get to heaven until the Savior saved them would have been in the hell of the dead. And then uh, there's a beautiful icon of Jesus on Good Friday as he's dying. It has a picture of him underneath the hill of Calvary, breaking the chains of Adam and Eve and letting all the people from the hell of the dead uh, into heaven. So that's what we believe happened when in the creed we say descended into hell, not the hell of the damned of the of Lucifer and all the, the demons and those people who are what we call the reprobate, but the hell of the dead, the righteous who are waiting for heaven. Does that help, Jeff? Uh, well, just a just quick follow-up. That wouldn't have anything to uh, do with, with um, Christ uh, crucified and at the end of the, the crucifixion, he says, it is finished. So uh, this guy saying that, well, you know, the him descending into, quote, hell was actually part of him paying for our sins. That, that yeah, can't be. Yeah, that I would say is, is, is totally unsubstantiated or uncorroborated theologically or scripturally. Uh, when Jesus said, consummatum est, you know, it is finished, his death on the cross is what saved us, and there was no other. And I know there were some crackpot theologians when I was in the seminary was maintaining that, you know, this uh, canonic uh, theory that he surrendered his divinity on the cross. He never did. It was his sacred humanity that died, but it was one divine person, Jesus, who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. So he never, you know, divorced himself from his divine nature. It would have been uh, ontologically impossible to do that. And that's, again, why he could not have gone into hell, because he's the second person of the Trinity. And so Jesus wasn't split into two, 
and one did one thing, one did the other. There's one person, and that's a divine person. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Sandy in Madison, Alabama, listening on the EWTN app. Sandy, you are on with Father Trujillo. Hi, Father. Um, Hello. I'm, I'm wondering if there is such a thing as levels or layers to heaven. I, I myself just want to get from the door, um, but I was talking to another Catholic who was asking me this question. And so she said, if you can find out, I really want to know. So I'm asking you. Yes, well, I mean, the Church has not uh, issued a dogmatic statement that there are de fide different levels of, of heaven. Now, some of the great saints, doctors of the Church, uh, have talked about uh, the different levels uh, of paradise, of heaven. Um, certainly we believe that uh, you know, your glory in heaven is proportionate to uh, you know, the, the, the faith you've had here on earth. Uh, therefore, you don't want to just get in under the, li- under the wire, so to speak, um, because your glory will be much more intense uh, the more grace you've received and cooperated with here on earth. Otherwise, if it's just the, the matter of getting in under the wire, then, you know, that's the Constantinian uh, proposal that the Emperor Constantine had. He waited till the very moment before he died to actually convert and be baptized. You don't want to take that chance. And secondly, you're depriving yourself of all these graces. So it's like a balloon. The more air you pump into it, the bigger it gets. The more grace we receive and are open to, the holier we become. And so when you're in heaven, you, you want to be as close to the Virgin Mary and, and all the angels and saints as you can. I know it's... A, a typical uh, thing of modern day uh, men and women that, you know, well, I'll just get, you know, the, the LCD, lowest common denominator, just get in. No, don't rob yourself of that. Say, I want to get as high as I can get. Uh, obviously, it's it's contingent on God's grace, but he respects our will. So uh, the more we want of grace, the more we cooperate with it. Thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One line open at 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Nebraska. Eileen is a first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Eileen, you're on with Father John. Thank you, Father John, for taking my call. My question is, is it a sin to stop taking your medication? I had... Is that considered killing your body against the Fifth Commandment? Um, that would depend. I mean, obviously, uh, I know people who have a terminal disease. Um, we make a distinction in moral theology between ordinary and extraordinary means. So if the dying process has already taken place, and let's say someone has terminal cancer, and it's just a matter of time, then they're allowed to refuse medication. I know some people can say, I don't want to be on the uh, dialysis machine because their organs are already starting to shut down and this is just prolonging the process. As long as what you're doing doesn't become the actual cause of your death. So uh, like starving yourself to death is not a good thing. Uh, Refusing food and water if you're able to assimilate it physically. Um, My father, you know, had leukemia and towards the end, his body couldn't absorb anything more. I mean, you know, if you if you were to put a feeding tube in him, that f- fluid or whatever you put in him would have just stayed there in his stomach is, you know, all those uh, digestive things were already shut down. So you can refuse 
extraordinary procedures and medications if all it's doing is prolonging the the ultimate as long as that doesn't become the actual cause of your death this is something you talk about with your confessor your spiritual director obviously hopefully with some of your loved ones so uh, you don't want to become a means of suicide but you can utilize your free will and your rational intellect and say okay I'm you know I I knew people who were on who had cancer who said no I don't want chemo I don't want radiation and they're at that stage where the doctor says it's just a matter of time and especially if they're not you know they don't have a family that they need to take care of uh, but someone's in the prime of their life they've got a, a a wife or husband and children who needs them they need to put up a good fight a, a, as much as they can does that help you at all Eileen I'm actually in very good health other um I'm 82 but I'm just tired of taking medication yeah, my mother was the same way. She was just so sick and tired of the pills. And every time the doctor or nurse would come in and say, here's your pills, and she'd go, I don't want it anymore. We used to find pills in my dad's pocket in his, in his <laughs> bathrobe. Um, I know they're, you know, I, I take a bunch of pills myself. Uh, it's not fun, um, but if it keeps you alive and, you know, it's just inconvenient, all right, but it's not painful like someone sticking a needle in your arm and you're getting dialysis, um, but if it's just a you know an annoyance, I would say offer it up and 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 do the best you can. God bless you, Eileen. We'll keep you in our prayers. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Bernadette is in the Republic of Texas today, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Bernadette, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Thank you very much. It's an honor, pleasure to speak to you, Father Tregilio. Um, I happened to hear uh, an interview with uh, Catholic Answers the other day, and a young lady called in and asked you if there were certain prayers that she might pray after receiving Holy Communion. I don't know if this was a tape, whether it was live. I didn't call in at the time. But um, I've always grown up ever since I was having received my first Holy Communion and was instructed and encouraged to pray the prayer to Jesus Christ crucified, and also soul of Christ. Have those fallen out of favor? Are they still, especially since they are basically granted, a person who prays it, prays them, are granted partial indulgence, Father? Oh, no, it's not discouraged. I just didn't want people to feel that they were limited to just those two. I was instructed that way when I made my first communion. That was back in, I think, 1970, maybe. Um yeah, um, but there's no set prayers that the Church says these, and they don't even give any high preference. But certainly, you know, the Anima Christi is a beautiful prayer, uh, praying on the five wounds of Christ. But you can even do, um, you know, uh, a Te Deum, glory to God, because it's an act of thanksgiving. You're grateful for receiving uh, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So obviously those two prayers you mentioned are most appropriate. But we're not limited to them. That was my point to the lady on, on Catholic Answers. God bless you. Thanks, Bernadette. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Patrick in Bismarck, North Dakota, and we'd love to hear from you. The number again is 833 288 ewtn that's 833-288-3986.
then you can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. Uh, and put Monday or Father John in the subject line, and we'll get it to the appropriate folder. And Father John is a 21st century kind of uh, seminary faculty member. So if you can text your question to Father John, text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. 833-288-EWTN. Pick up the phone. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head next to Bismarck, North Dakota. Patrick is in North Dakota listening on Real Presence Radio. Patrick, you're on with Father John. Hello, thank you. What's your question today? Um... First of all, thank you for taking my call. I think I have a beam of wood in my eye, um, Ooh. so to say. <laughs> yeah, Patrick's been to Mass recently. <laughs> so, yes. along the risk of being too scrupulous when deciding whether or not to own stock in a company, how mm-hmm. far do I ask about the morality of the company's business decisions? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I know some. there are some excellent... Um, uh, Catholic resources out there um, in which they can help uh, guide you, not necessarily into what to invest in, but what to avoid. Um, obviously, we want to make a distinction in moral theology between remote and proximate material cooperation and evil. So if you have moral uh, certainty uh, that a particular company is directly uh, investing or using their money and their facilities for immoral purposes. For example, they're using um, aborted fetal tissue intentionally uh, to produce whatever they're going to make, uh, and you have the option of not investing in that company, then you should not. Um, uh, if, if you work at that company, that's a different matter where you have to just, you know, as long as you're not directly doing something that's uh, like if you're at a hospital and you're not in the operating room while the abortion's taking place, you're not the doctor, you're not the nurse or whatever, but if you work in a cafeteria, you're not held morally responsible for what's going on in that operating room. However, if you're investing in a company, uh, you need to know what kind of things they're they're doing and um, fi- trying to find out, are they subsidizing uh, Planned Parenthood? Are they subsidizing or promoting pornography or other immoral activities? Uh, trying to, like in some cases, they're proliferating uh, contraception around the world and uh, other things like that, or do they have um, policies at their company uh, that doesn't respect the sanctity of, of marriage and other things like that? Some of those things you may not ever be able to find out. So uh, if you have any ambiguity, you know, you can invest. But I would say the more prudent thing was to be invest those those places where you either know for sure they're not doing anything or there's no uh, inclination or suspicion that, that they may. But uh, some of this information you may need to do a little research on. People research these companies to find out if it's a good financial investment. So I tell Catholics, do the same, make sure that it's a moral investment. Um, I, I can't think of anything of any of these particular places offhand, but I know there are some Catholic investors. I think we even had a, a show once or twice on EWTN 
where uh, they explained, you know, what to be looking for uh, in terms of uh, morally, ethically investing your money. Does that help you, Patrick? Thank you for the answer. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Robert. He is in Omaha, Nebraska. You're number one in Nebraska today, Father. Uh, <laughs> listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Robert, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Yeah, I was wondering if you tell me about the order of the Brown scapular and what it means. Okay, uh, the brown scapular, which a lot of people uh, wear around their neck, is a mini version of the full-length scapular because it covers the scapula, uh, the bone uh, on your shoulder. And the religious, the men and women who are Carmelites, they wear, it's like a flap in the front and in the back, and that's the full-blown scapular. For the lay people who are like third-order Carmelites, and for other people who are enrolled in the brown scapular, it's a much smaller version because obviously it wouldn't be too practical for you to wear that and go to work. So it's a smaller version. It's just uh, two strings with uh, a front and the back, a uh, little piece of cloth uh, that uh, you, you wear over your, your, your neck. And it's, like I said, in the, in the, over your chest and over your back. Um, there are many privileges attached to the brown scapular. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a third-order Carmelite to, to wear it. Um, but the Blessed Virgin Mary at Fatima uh, told, the chil- uh, told the children to promote a devotion to the scapular. St. Simon Stock is the one we believe uh, first received the, the gift of the scapular. And uh, obviously there's other privileges attached to it. Uh, you're, you're asked to uh, go to Mass on the first Saturdays of the month. Um, also to um, celebrate the, the Carmelite Holy Days when, when possible. But it's a beautiful testimony, and I know some people say, well, if I wear it, that'll prevent me from going to hell. Well, it's not magic. It's not a good luck charm so that if you're, uh, you know, like a terrorist, and you say, well, I'll wear my scapular, and then that'll keep me safe. Well, guess what? It doesn't work that way, and, and I'm sure, uh, you know, somehow that's that's not going to stay on your neck. But even if it did, uh, you committing a horrible, heinous crime, a mortal sin, is not going to be trumped by the the thing that you wear around your neck. It's a reminder, though, to you that you want to have the gift of final penitence, that you want to be in the state of grace at all times. Can any priest enroll you in the brown scapular? Any priest can. You don't have to be a Carmelite priest to do that. And it's a bit, and once you once you are enrolled, you never have to have the, your your uh, new scapular blessed because the blessings upon the person, not the scapular. So any time that you your scapular comes apart or you lose it you just ask the priest or deacon for a new one they just give you one you don't have to be re-enrolled you don't have to have it get blessed and you can also there's a scapular medal for those people who cannot wear the scapular Uh, my dad had a typical hairy uh, italian chest (laughs) just irritated him and so our our pastor said here here's the medal for your dad 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number 833-288-3986. Next stop is Raleigh, North Carolina. Joachim is in Raleigh, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Joachim, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Terrific, um, thank I you. Have a question. Good. I have a question about the Trinity. I understand that based on the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but my question is, when was it established by God? 
um, has it always existed, or did it come into existence when Jesus was born, and then he breathed the Holy Spirit? Um, and I also have a couple of Protestant friends who believe the Trinity is based on a hierarchy. Um, so I was wondering what the Catholic teaching is on that. Okay, well, um, I like to use a little terminology that was uh, in vogue maybe th uh, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, you can make a distinction between what we call the imminent trinity and the uh, economic trinity. It has nothing to do with finances, though, okay? The imminent trinity is how the trinity relates in and of themselves. So from all eternity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have always existed. All three persons, okay, three persons, one God, all three persons share the one and the same divine intellect and divine will. So what one knows, all three know. What one wills, all three will. Um, and the, even the terminology, Father and Son, uh, there was never a time where there was no son, so you know the, the father could not have existed before the son because you couldn't call him father, and the son always needed a father, and the Holy Spirit is the mutual love of the father and the son. Now, in terms of the economic trinity, that's how the trinity has revealed itself in chronological human history. So God the Father, you know, we see present at creation, we see God the Son, in terms of redemption, he's dying on the cross and resurrection. And then God the Holy Spirit at the birth of the church uh, at Pentecost. But where one person is, all three are present. So all three were there on Good Friday. All three were there on Easter Sunday. All three were there at the moment of creation. It's just through what we call appropriation that we give one particular work uh, ascribed to one of the persons. But they're always there. So um, the Father is not superior to the Son. That was Arianism. That's why we say in the Creed, consubstantial with the Father, because um, it was Arius who maintained that it was Jesus had a similar substance to the Father, and the Council of Nicaea said, no, it's the same. So that's why we say consubstantialem, okay, homoousios in, in the Greek. So all three persons are God, and they've always been the Holy Trinity. It's just that in our human uh, experience, it has been gradually revealed to us. What about a hierarchy within the Trinity? It couldn't exist because uh, that would make one superior to the other. So the only hierarchy would be chronologically in terms of our experience, but in terms of God in and of himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed, and they're all equal. Thanks so much, Joachim. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. It's our toll-free number. Plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Teresa is a first-time caller in Jefferson City, Missouri, listening to Covenant Radio in the capital city. Teresa, you are on with Father John. Well, hello, Father John. Hello. <laughs> uh, um, I have a question. I have a granddaughter. I have three grandkids, all in the same family. Two of the grandkids were baptized. The mother and father are baptized. But they wouldn't baptize the baby. The only thing I can come up is that they don't attend church regularly on a regular basis due to their work and due to they can't all go together, those two reasons. I just don't know if there's anything that my daughter could do to, besides going to church on a regular basis, which is going to be really hard, uh, if just one of them can take the children uh, to church, if that would help, or what? Yes, I would say, I mean, uh, 
certainly it's important to get the children baptized, but they have to be baptized with a uh, reasonable um, hope that they'll be raised in, in the faith because once you're baptized Catholic, you're Catholic and you're bound by the Catholic rules and laws of the church, and that includes marriage, so that if somebody's baptized Catholic, they have to be married uh, in the Catholic uh, form, as we say, and if they're not, it wouldn't be a, a valid marriage, and so that's why we do not indiscriminately baptize uh, people uh, only, you know, if there's in danger of death, then anybody can baptize and because, you know, you want to uh, give them that, that, that final chance. But if they're normal and healthy, I would say, yes, uh, if both parents can't get to church, at least if one of them, or in the case of a grandparent, a grandparent or the godparent can say, I will assure the priest or deacon that I will personally take them to Mass and make sure they get catechesis and they receive all the sacraments of initiation. That's all the priest or deacon needs is some reasonable assurance that someone, mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, uh, godparent, you know, uh, someone's going to do that. Then they can proceed with the baptism. Otherwise, you know, we need to, say, postpone it. We never deny someone baptism, but we may need to postpone it. Does that help, Teresa? Yes, it did. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call. 833-288-288. EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got another first-time caller, Susan. She's in Marlowe, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Radio. Um, Susan, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing the program. (laughs) What can we do for you? Well, I've been wondering this for a long time. Um, You know it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And then Matthew 6.1 says, take care not to... Uh, form righteous deeds in order that other people may see them. And then in Matthew 5.16, it says, Just so your light must shine for others that they may see the good and that you're doing and glorifying your Heavenly Father. So do we do it in secret or do we announce it? What's a girl supposed to do here, Father? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I think I'm going to use it in my next retreat I give. Um, it's the it's the thing that we need to be cautioned about is our motive. Why are we doing these things? So, like the the case where Jesus gives, you know, there's the the man in the temple who's way in the back who beats his chest, "Be merciful, me, O Lord, I'm a sinner." And then the guy up front saying, oh, "Thank God I'm not like the rest of these people. I'm not like that tax collector." Uh, he doesn't want us to announce what we're doing so that we get the esteem of others. But we need to edify others. We need to encourage them. That's why I tell people, I say to the seminarians especially, when you're out in public, whether you're wearing your collar or not, uh, say grace before meals. But you do it not to attract attention so people say, oh, look at a holy person over there, but to edify them. I think there was a commercial made by EWTN where a family just very quietly uh, said grace and other people saw them. Some laughed. Others said we haven't done that in a while. We need to do that. So always giving good example is a good motive, edifying, but not for the desire or motive or intention that you people think well of you. So your deeds in secret mean, you know, you're not doing it for recognition, but we are to give good example. So that there's it's a fine line uh, to be sure, but as long as you have the right motivation, you want to do it and always ask yourself, why am I doing this? How am I doing it? But giving good example is always a good thing. Does that help, Susan? Yes, it does. I kind of thought that, but I just thought I should have clarification. Thanks for the call. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much for your answer, and God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Let not your hearts be troubled. Mother talks about tough times that people go through, and uh, though God allows difficulties in this life, we can know that God will only do what is best for us. Again, that's Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Uh, next up is another first-time caller, Ned in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Ned, you are on with Father John. Hello, Father John. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a little dilemma. I, I have several nieces and nephews, actually, and uh, one of my older nieces uh, has been married for seven or eight years. Wonderful girl. Has a wonderful husband. Uh, honestly, I do not know because they, they haven't lived in town forever, you know, the whole time they've been married. But uh, she's very successful, and I, I don't really know if they go to church. They did get married in a Catholic church, a uh, beautiful wedding, and actually in a Franciscan place here in Cincinnati. But she, uh, they've had difficulty having a child. They've tried, had several miscarriages, has, you know, been having difficulties. I have no idea what doctors they went through and everything, but... I assume at one point they were like, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. Well, one of my other nieces, who actually has three children and is probably a couple years older than her, said, look, I will have a baby for you. So my assumption is that they, you know, they took a, a sperm from him and an egg from her and fertilized it and then implanted it in her, which is against the teaching of the church as far as I know. So my question is, I really don't know how to approach these because I will see them usually a couple times a year. And, uh, you know, I certainly pray for a healthy baby and all that, but I'm I just really am wondering how I should approach it. Yeah, if it's an already done deal that it's already, I mean, the, the, the conception has already occurred, there's nothing you can do, all right? Uh, it, it's too late. You accept the child as, you know, as a human being, as a child of God. But if it hasn't yet taken place, I would, uh, if possible, urge them to reconsider because in the process of this um, procedure, it's like in vitro. What they often do is they take a number of eggs uh, and fertilize it with the sperm of the donor, and then they pick the most optimum one or two and then discard the other ones. Well, that discarding of those embryos is abortion. So this isn't, they just don't take one egg and one sperm and that's it. They do what they do in vitro. They do a number of them. So that's considered uh, morally uh, wrong. And then the fact that you've got, you know, someone else's egg uh, implanted in, in this woman, okay, the, the, the child's mother is actually the, from where the egg came from. Even though, you know, the, the embryo is growing in the womb of this, uh, of, of this lady, the mother biologically, the DNA Everything is going to be that other, you know, even though they may be sisters. I've heard this happen before, but it's not the best route to go because um, in addition to obviously making a nice novena to uh, um, St. Gerard Magellan, uh, there's something called NAPRO, which is uh, using the techniques of uh, natural family planning, but at a higher degree. Uh, that's very uh, successful. But this surrogate motherhood is not good for a number of reasons. Thanks, Ned. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. 
Annette is in Jamestown, North Dakota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Annette, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a question I remember hearing a little bit about when I was younger. Is it the nine days of darkness? Oh, like no, it's, three day, it's, it's the three days of darkness. Could you explain that to me a little more? Yes, that's a private revelation that has not been approved by the church. It hasn't been officially condemned either, so it's considered a private revelation, which even, you know, uh, Fatima and Lourdes are considered private revelations. I personally believe in Fatima and Lourdes, but you can, as a good Catholic, say, I don't believe it happened and not be considered a bad Catholic. The three days of darkness is something that uh, was allegedly revealed to someone, and even saints can have visions and apparitions but if you know if that's not f- formally approved by the church you know that means you know you can take or leave it and i as a priest i i need to promote those ones that are officially endorsed uh by the church like fatima lords are endorsed and are approved the other ones you know uh the jury's still out I, you you can believe in those things so this idea of the three days of darkness and there's gonna be a certain it's almost like the rapture these are things that people firmly believe in. I, when I was a pastor for 16 years and a, a parochial vicar for many more years, people would come to me and say, Father, I need to have all this holy water blessed. They would want like 20 gallons of holy water blessed. They would want five pounds of uh, salt exercised and then all these candles blessed that they kept in their basement for the three days of darkness. I said, well, it's a good idea to have water and candles in case there's a natural disaster. Um, but I said, whether or not there's three days of darkness, you know, that's a personal choice if you want to believe that or not. Um, but I would stick to the formally authenticated uh, visions and apparitions first. Is that helpful, Annette? It, very helpful. I didn't know it wasn't approved. I just had vaguely remember hearing that. Yeah, and there's good people who support it, so I don't want anyone to think bad of them. But again, I'd stick with Lords and Fatima any day of the week. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Uh, another first-time caller, Patty, is in Springfield, Illinois, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Patty, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah, my question is about angels. And ever since I was a little girl, I just always had two angels in my life. They were Julie and Sandy. I used to draw them on all my artwork <laughs> when I was a little kid. Um, and I've just always been very drawn and fascinated and just felt close to angels. Um, had some experiences in my life where I've just honestly been rescued. And um, so I'm just like the archangels. There's all the different tarot from cherubim, the different um principles i i was just wondering just um origins and kind of their you know their jobs and and uh, just a little bit about angels okay well that that's very good um uh, and you know we're going to be coming up on the feast of the holy uh, archangels michael raphael and gabriel uh, this month uh the angels are messengers of god and the nine choirs of angels that are described particularly by St. Thomas Aquinas, and obviously, you know, we learned them from the, in the Baltimore Catechism. Um, there are different ranks of angels. The highest rank of angel is the seraphim, and all they do, morning, noon, and night, for all eternity, is praise God. Uh, the lower angels, angels and archangels, they're sent on missions. And so, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, to when the angels visited Abraham or Lot, 
or out throughout all of Scripture. The angel wrestled with with uh, with Jacob. All these angels, and certainly our guardian angels, which uh, I firmly, you know, I believe mine were working overtime because I, I had a few mishaps uh, here and there with the, with the automobile and policeman said, boy, your guardian angel's been working overtime, Father. I said, I know, I home big time. Don't have to remind me. Um, yeah, they're there to protect us, but to guide us. They cannot interfere with us, but they can guide us in the same way that on the opposite end, the devil tries to lure us, okay, to tempt us. Our angels are there to hopefully give us uh, courage and encouragement. Um, now, each angel, uh, you know, it's it's a very philosophical concept that each angel exhausts his own species, which you and I are human beings. All human beings are part of the human species. Each angel is exhaustive of his own species. It's a very philosophical point. That's how grand and, and, and glorious they are. Uh, they have all the information they will ever get at the moment they're created. It's infused knowledge. That's why when Lucifer and one-third of the angels went bad, they can never repent because their will is not designed to change their mind. They, it's an irrevocable choice. Whereas you and I, you know, our will can change from time to time. And that's why every day we have to renew our will uh, to do good and to avoid evil. Uh, so we certainly believe in angels. We believe in the guardian angels. Um, and those, like I said, those feasts are coming up at the end of uh, September and beginning of October. What about the the notion of of uh, developing a relationship with your guardian angel, which I think you're probably in favor of, but I think the, yes. church, the church has sort of frowned a little bit upon uh, naming your guardian yes, angel. Yes, the church has more than just, you know, they have actually condemned the practice of naming your angel because you didn't create your angel. Now, you might feel a little bit nice, uh, closer, because you named your angel Fred or Mary, but God decides what their name is, and... It's not good to have names for angels because then you can, you might have this idea of summoning them like we, they do the demons. So just be content that you have an angel and don't worry. But they, they know who you are and you can communicate to them through prayer. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. Until we get together then, God bless.